0: just embracing that feeling of discomfort. In the particular, you find the universal. We have to actually make this a place people wanna go.
1: Welcome to Venture Visionaries, a space where personal journeys intersect with transformative ventures. I'm Thomas Egemet, and today's episode not only brings a remarkable story of educational impact, but also echoes a personal narrative that's very close to my heart. Now, I've been really fortunate in my career. I've got to do investment in private equity and venture capital. I've worked at a number of tech firms and management consulting. And yet my path to these opportunities was anything but conventional. I grew up in a loving family that highly valued education, but sometimes struggled financially. When I landed in the U.S., I just had $273 to my name but I also had a scholarship to attend school at Stanford. And it was that experience that wasn't just a stepping stone, but a gateway to a world of professional opportunities that not only for me, but my family reshaped our future. Unfortunately though, there were lots of precocious, ambitious students I grew up with who didn't get the same opportunity. And that's why this personal journey resonates deeply with the mission of our guest, Irene Shi, the CEO of Minds Matter Bay Area. Now, Irene's story is one of commitment and passion, transitioning from a classroom teacher to a leader determined to bridge educational divides. Minds Matter represents a crucial response to a stark reality, the underrepresentation of high-achieving, low-income students in selective colleges. Irene and her team are dedicated to changing this narrative, ensuring that potential and opportunity are not lost simply due to economic disparities. Now, our conversation is going to transverse through Irene's career journey, her insights into policy's impact on education, and the vital importance of college education for low-income communities. We're going to delve into the unique Minds Matter model, a beacon of hope in San Francisco that creates pathways for students from some of our beloved neighborhoods to prestigious educational institutions across the state and country. This episode also explores the mentorship's profound impact on Minds Matter where relationships extend beyond academics, fostering confidence, resilience, and lifelong bonds. We also take a look at how that organization navigates the pandemic, highlighting the resilience and commitment of their community. The story is more than an organizational success. It's a testament to the power of education in transforming lives, much like my own journey. And it's about creating futures where dreams and reality can converge. So join us as we dive into this inspiring conversation with Irene Shi. I'm Thomas Agamem. Let's get going. I know that kind of before you were this badass minds matter barrier CEO, you started off your career as a classroom teacher in Arizona. I'm curious as you think about Irene teaching in a classroom in Arizona to Irene leading Minds Matter Bay Area today, what are some of the experiences that have been most pivotal in kind of shaping that evolution? And why did they matter?
0: Classroom teaching was incredibly uncomfortable for me. I was really, I think I was only 22 or 23 years old. I was teaching middle and high schools. I didn't feel that far apart in age from the kids that I was teaching. I think at that time was really trying to figure out one, I think how to have authority without having too much authority, I think in that kind Mm. of Mm -hmm. how to grapple with feelings of like inadequacy and feeling like I was just incredibly uncomfortable and didn't think I necessarily had earned my right to be up front in front of those kids in the classroom. I think that if there were a couple of things I really took away from that time in the classroom, and then that really informed what came after, I would say one is just embracing that feeling of discomfort. It's funny, but I've now gotten to a point where I have a pretty good sense of like what's in my range of discomfort. But it used to be that I couldn't quite figure it out. I was like, am I just too uncomfortable right now? And I think that Mm. allowed me to one, get comfortable with the discomfort and two start to build up an understanding of like, what is my range of risk and putting myself in situations where I feel that I'm just doing a lot of learning, right? I don't know that I thought of teaching as teaching necessarily. I thought about it as more team building. Mm. When you're working with 30 plus kids in a classroom, I think it starts to become really critical to think about not just like what can they get from you, but what can they learn from each other and how you can set up the classroom environment and the culture in the classroom so that there's actually a lot more of the time, you know, you have your lesson, you have, you know, your intention, but you hmm. also are really learning where are each of the kids in this class and how can they influence each other, not just in terms of their ability to grapple the curriculum, which I thought was only one part of the learning but actually how Mm. they can learn from each other in terms of how they solve problems, how they think through things, how they each take, Mm. building up that, I think, kind of structure, but most importantly, culture in which that kind of mutual learning can thrive. Mm. I think it's really, really important. And so I'd sort of led teams before that, but I don't think I had thought about it quite in that way. And I certainly hadn't done it in the context of working with younger students. In a way, when you lead like, you know, adolescents, a lot of I say lead rather than teach. I yeah. think a lot of the work that you do, it actually becomes really elemental, right? Because they're not there to please you, right? For the most mm. part, they're actually rather disinterested in you altogether, which I thought <laughs> was very instructive. I thought was very instructive. So you got to like put all the focus on being tremendously curious about them. And that curiosity and care and compassion ends up being the baseline mm. and the foundation for building that culture. And that curiosity also leads you to really have a better understanding of each of them, which help, helps you sort of connect them with each other in different sort of formations, so that there's that mutual learning in classroom. So in a weird way, I didn't really think maybe this is the way my brain is wired. I don't know that classroom teaching is necessarily the right career track for me, but I know that there's some element of what I was able to do here, both in terms of on some level conquering the fears and and figuring out my own range around and I think team building that was very exciting. I wanted to bring into the next part of my life.
1: Wow. There's so much I love about what you just shared. And you know, I'm struck by something as I listen to you. And it reminds me of an anecdote about Elon Musk. Now, there's not much that he and I agree on these days, but one of the things would be how he used to interview people for SpaceX. I read that he would pick a random bullet on their resume and then start drilling in deeper and deeper into the work they did, the hypotheses they tested, the lessons they learned, And we found that most leaders can click one to two levels down, and the great ones can probably get three to five levels. But with truly exceptional ones, you just get the sense that they could keep going. And that's exactly the sense I get when we talk about your experience in the classroom in Arizona. But, you know, one other thing I'm struck by is that line about building a team versus the traditional teacher-student paradigm. You know, a lot of my own learning science research at Stanford was exactly on this. How much more effective deep peer social learning is than really anything that comes from an authority figure and how it actually can be correlated with team performance. And spoiler alert, it's a pretty significant correlation, But what also strikes me is that you were very much a part of that team. And it sounds like you were learning from your students as much as they were from you. How did that shape what you chose to do next?
0: Because of what happened in my classroom and in, at my school during the time that I was there, they influenced my next steps in that. So I was teaching in, in Phoenix, Arizona. Arizona is a, a rather conservative state. It still is, I think, in many ways. But I think it's become, if you look at the map, it's become more purple, I think, over, over the recent decade. When I was there, it was pretty much a red state. When I was there, there were two bills that passed in the state that had a real impact on my classroom. One is that there was a, a state senate bill that passed that essentially cracked down on undocumented immigrants. And that definitely had an impact on my school and even in my classroom in terms of students being deported. I felt, as you can imagine, incredibly ill-equipped, I think, to th- support not only the students that this directly impacted, but also the students that you know were going through this with their peers, right, and trying yeah. to figure that. And so that was a period of time where I became so much more curious about the things that lived beyond the classroom that had an impact on my students' experience. And so that actually did directly lead me to applying to policy school. And so mm-hmm. I had at Harvard Kennedy School after my time in the classroom in, in Arizona.
1: Okay, that's awesome. So I take it now you're armed with both a deeply pragmatic lens on education to Teach for America and a very academic one with the Harvard Kennedy School. What came next? How did it all ladder up to Minds Matter?
0: That journey itself led me to think much more at system level. So there was policy school, you know, grad school for two years. I stayed in Boston, actually, for Mm. four years after that. I think that the primary reason was that I really wanted to get to know a city, and I didn't feel Mm. that I had a chance to really do that in a professional sense. The next sort of series of things that I worked on, I worked on through an organization called the Achievement Network, or ANET. you know, nominally, our work was to go be in districts and and support, you know, district leaders as well as principals in helping them think about the transition, particularly the talent transition, the curricular transition to teaching the Common Core State Standards, because that was a mm. huge shift at the time that everybody was yeah. their heads around. But I think because of the unique systems that we were in, this is Boston Public Schools, it was also some of the smaller school districts in Massachusetts, eventually we were, I was also working in Connecticut and Hartford. These are again some of your larger urban school districts. These are districts that in many ways are, you know, still rather under resourced, right? Even if there's a lot of attention paid, I think, to some of these districts and schools within, I still think that you see just so many pockets where even if there is an interest in funding these spaces, I often think there is mm. isn't a level of know-how for how you actually nurture community, you know, harnessing, I think, the best resources that already exist in these communities with a lot of respect and set them up in such a way where they can continue to thrive mm. with like this influx of funding and support, right? And so Mm. I'm very curious during that time, I think, about how how systems really move, how you actually walk within communities that Mm. you fully understand, which we often did not Right degree, I think of. Truly, I think the intent is to bring what it is that is helpful, but again, to like fully empower those that are within this community and will stay in this community to continue to take that and grow. And, mm. and so, I just became really curious about that, I think, during my time, you know, in that particular role. Afterwards, I ended up in working in Connecticut at state level education policy level. You know, there are different things that we were working on, but I think the main thing that, you know, we were focused on at the time was building these partnerships between local high schools, local institutions of higher education, and local high schools. So, how mm. can you know, provide these sort of, you know, you can think of it as cradle to career pipelines so mm. that particularly for low income communities there was a sense of <laughs> that school actually made sense for you right that that there was an opportunity to start thinking about how you were building the skills entering into you know opportunities to test out you know different types of you know vocational pathways in the time that you were even in you know middle school high school and onwards that definitely was really interesting to me i walked away from it also understanding that um because that was the job that i did right before minds matter i walked yeah. away from it really realizing that i th- Think I'm passionate about one part of that equation because we were developing a lot of alternate pathways, right? Pathways in mm. which students didn't need to go to college, understandably, mm. right? And could just be prepped for career like really early on. Mm. But I felt like there was just something that was kind of bothering me a little bit, which is that I was examining my own journey and I consider myself a lower income you know, s- you know, student as well. I felt that college was really important in my journey, but I also understand that it's not for everyone, right? So it's yeah. not necessarily a box that has to be checked for everyone. But for me, when I thought about it and I was working on these alternate pathways, I was like, but you know, it mattered for me. And I actually think mm. one of the reasons it mattered for me is it not only opened doors in terms of skill sets that I gain. But it actually opened doors in terms of the people that I got to meet. It opened doors in terms of my being able to take on a job and not feel that I can only ever do this job or that, you know, there aren't, you know, ways for me to advance, whether at this particular workplace or beyond it. Um, yeah. because that degree from an institution that was widely recognized and people would go, Well, that that in and of itself has a certain value, right? Mm. And so that was really bothering me, I think a lot because I was thinking I would take no issue probably, I think, with people wanting to build alternate pathways for all students. One of the things that concerned me at the time was I thought, you know, I think we're shepherding a lot of low income students into alternate. Mm. I just mm. want to make sure that that's truly that we've opened up all options and that those are mm. true options that are right. Mm. Because I reflected on my own journey, I thought, you know, I would hope that when I was 12, I wasn't being prematurely put on this track. I think I gained so much from going to the college I went to, to the grad school that I went to, the education yeah. experiences that I had were both eye opening, you know, help me build skill, but also help me build relationships and networks that were yeah. important later on in life. So that brought me here to Minds Matter, I think when I came around and the opportunity to go work on that particular part of the problem that I think I was most passionate about. I'd always worked with low income communities. Mm-hmm. I fought at system levels and I felt really ready to come back to a space where I could really focus on the individual student and think about change at that level. And also, again, that specific Passion, Which is college may not be for every student, but for the students that really, you know, want this pathway, I really want to make sure that we're, we're helping to solve that undermatching problem, helping them get the best options that they can. Oftentimes, there are better options available for them that they just don't
1: have that exposure to. And that's what we're here to do. I think there's this constant tension between depth and scale in the world of education. You kind of were growing and growing and growing from a scale perspective. You started with a classroom, you moved on to districts, you got to a whole state, but then you made the decision to come back to a city. From a scale perspective, it really was a shrink down. How do you think about that trade off of scale in the world of education?
0: I always did feel that I was sleeping too well at my last at my last job in mm. that I joked about that, I think, because you don't really get to see the outcome at a very meaningful level, I would argue, when you're working at that kind of scale. You do a lot of listening. You, Of course, we visited you know schools, visited classrooms, talked mm-hmm. with all kinds of stakeholders. But in the end, a lot of it feels incredibly secondhand. Mm-hmm. You're trying to gather an understanding, but very rarely do you get to like sit down and genuinely watch the journey of one student and just go, okay, there was mm-hmm. this program that we helped to fund, you know. Let's take a look at how this re- has really impacted you. That was just not, you know, accessible. I think for you know at, when you're working at scale and thinking at scale, and I think for me, I think there are different people that are you know, have different levels of interests and skill sets. I think for me, I could never really get beyond that curiosity of what was really happening at the ground level. And so, Mm. I actually think that that impacted my sense of whether I truly believed we were having the impact we should have been having at the levels Mm. that were. And perhaps that's, you know, I I think there's something in terms of my own constitution that I like to see things happen (laughs) on some level. And so, I think, I you know, weirdly, I don't know that I gave, up too much in terms of what I was really passionate about to mm. come to this particular role I think I think others might say differently though but I think for me it didn't feel like a hardship I think in that in that regard. I just believe this on some level too. I took a class years ago when I was in grad school and I had a professor, her name was Sarah mm. Lawrence, and she said this thing, in the particular, you find the universal. She pioneered a field called portraiture and portraiture mm. is studying individual stories. And it was actually a form of scholarship and a form of research. But portraiture was actually about, you know, you go into a setting and you're not going to be able to talk with thousands of people. You maybe choose slices of the community, right? Specific people that you spend a long time with over time, and then you really try to write their story and understand their story. And through that, you could have a better understanding, actually, of many different people that Mm -hmm. grown up where they've grown up, you know, had some level of, of shared experience as they had, right? And mm-hmm. so, I'm a maybe a deep believer in the concept of portraiture, the fact that you in the particular, in the specific, you find the universal. That is the way that I think about the relationship, I think, between depth and scale. I actually don't think there's a ton of meaningful scale that can be had if you don't Have people within the system that actually spend a lot of time understanding the particular in order to inform the universal. If you walk a long journey with a single person, in many ways, you actually learn a lot about people. humans, if you yeah. actually think, right? And so there's something in that that I find very instructive. And perhaps that's always informed the way that I, I thought. And so I have to say that there is something that I feel very sustainable, I think, in terms of what I do today, just in the feeling that I get and the fulfillment that I mm. get, out because I feel every day I'm engaging with the particular that informs my understanding of the universal.
1: You identify high-achieving, low-income students. You provide them with both after-school and supplementary support that really is aiming to prevent undermatching. So getting them into the best possible colleges. These are amazing kids. Let's make sure they end up in the best place. And there's a bunch of support you provide. But a key feature of the Minds Matter model is the mentors. So one of the things that I get really curious about is just the close proximity between the place where we say there's the widest gap, high achieving, low income students on one end, and you have your volunteers who are some of the most privileged people. Those are often groups that if you read the narrative are so far apart that their ability to understand each other is almost non-existent. I'm curious what it looks like to actually foster the kind of mutual understanding that you're able to make in Minds Matter.
0: I think we're actually very intentional about who we select to become volunteers in the program. We certainly don't say yes to everyone who applies. Even if there are folks that we think might be good for a different kind of role, we don't necessarily say that mentorship is the right one for them. So we're we're mm. really... really That We move through a pretty intensive interview process, actually, with our volunteers. And what we're looking for above all, we would say, you know, sometimes people come and they say, like, do I need to have been a teacher or a tutor or something in the past? And we actually say, like, not necessarily, actually, right? That's not Mm -hmm. really... We definitely need you to be a good listener. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We need you to be someone that... Is comfortable with supporting someone through uncertainty, right? Mm. You're not here to lay down the law or set the rules or, you know, tell someone what their journey is supposed to look like. You're here to be such a good listener that you're helping to facilitate their own reflections, right? We want you to think, think about that role really, really seriously in terms of you coming in as a supporter of some uh, of a kid's journey. We're really focused on is also like, can you make the commitment? Mentors mm. are For three years with their students. It takes that long, I think, to build a really strong relationship that lasts beyond those three years that you come Mm. together. And it's not just three years, it's three years where you're coming in every week. For the duration of the school year, so that ends up being mm. about five weeks during the school year that you're coming in for for several hours to work mm. with. Students. We had a time when we were all living through the pandemic, and so the program went online, you know, for a moment. But we yeah. have been an in-person program and have come back in person for the last two years, and will remain that way. And so that's mm. a too, that you're not just saying, I'll show up, you know, by turning on my camera, that in and of itself, I think weeds out people, quite a number of people in that process. So, you know, can't make the commitment. And also some things that just naturally get people to say, oh, no, that's probably not for me, right? Yeah, It's become more and more critical, actually, over the years that we continue to get better and better in terms of how, how and where we're recruiting for our mentors. We never compromise, I think, on the quality of that individual that we're bringing in to come work
1: with our kids. Ah, that's awesome. So you're kind of running an ever more intelligent mentor acquisition process. You know, I always say performance is a function of both potential and place, right? You have the skills, values, and attributes of a person, but that's just their potential. Then you have the environment or situation that you place them in. That's the place. What have you guys done to optimize the place to ensure that mentoring relationships are working optimally at Minds Matter Bay Area?
0: There's also the formation of how we set our students and volunteer or mentors up together. So we used to be a two to one model, which is two mentors working with one student. On the one hand, it was like, wow, this is so intensely focused on a student. I feel very supported. I love, you know, we had students, you know, certainly feel that they it was great to get two mentors to, to support them. Yeah. On the other hand, we also had students say, gosh, it's really intense. It, feel, it feels like a parenting kind of dynamic a little bit. Yeah. We had a number of students, Students actually say like, it'd be great to have another student go through that journey with me. So in recent years, I think since 2020, we've moved to a two-to-two structure where we have Mm. two mentors paired with two students together Mm. for those three years that they're moving through our high school program together. I think that structure has been really important because you almost do create this kind of team dynamic, I think, among... Them. There's a sense of balance. We think it's incredibly important to bring volunteers in our program that are people that have the capacity to be tremendous listeners, supporters, understand that they are not the leading act, right, in this story. Yeah. At the same time, I think that there's a right balance in all relationships of making sure that even as you're supporting someone It doesn't become an overly investigative curiosity that you're actually Mm. sharing parts of yourself and you're walking that walk with the student by also being vulnerable yourself. Mm. And we setting up also that two-to-two dynamic started to make it a little bit more balanced in terms of like the students get to ask questions of their mentors and get to be curious them, right? Mm -hmm. And we wanted that dynamic to be really true and really real too. That I think aided by our curriculum. So, week by week by week, we have two sides of the house. We actually have what we call instruction, which it is instruction, but it's focused on tutoring. That's actually not the side of the house that our mentors work with our students on. Mm -hmm. That's the side of the house where they're getting, you know, SAT test prep, some degree of academic tutoring and core subjects. But on the mentorship side of the house, we focus really on social emotional work. Mm -hmm. And so, so mm. that's where our curriculum. I mean, we ta- we help our students think about what careers they might be interested in. We help them mm. dig in. Core values, and try to discover mm. you know, what really matters to me, and how does that inform you know the types of you know subjects that I would be interested in, maybe the types of career pathways that might be fascinating to me that I'd want to explore. Right? We don't want them to get too stuck on one particular personality test or the other. It's not yeah. about checking that, but we help them take different ones just to like get a sense of yourself. And the idea is to open up discussions about who they are. We have actually lessons that dive pretty deeply into understanding racial you know, ethnic cultural diversity, right? within the context that they're in and beyond, reflecting, of course, on their own experience, which is so critical and being able to share about their own experience, but also being able to be curious about others. Through these conversations and building and building and building, there's a natural relationship that emerges, a natural relationship Mm. just because we said we want to get the right volunteers into org to play these roles of mentors. We want them to be able to, of course, invest the right amount of time. But then you put that time in and over time through a curriculum that very intentionally encourages encourages relationship building, obviously facilitating a lot of space for our students to reflect on themselves, to share about themselves, to discover Mm -hmm. themselves, right? But also opens the door, I think, for our mentors to also think about what parts of their own journey are relevant, Mm. parts of their own story are relevant and can be Mm. additive to their mentee. That becomes, forms actually a really critical baseline, I think, for the closeness and the bond that builds.
1: Ah, that's awesome. So you're kind of running an ever more intelligent mentor acquisition process. You know, I always say performance is a function of both potential and place right you have the skills values and attributes of a person but that's just their potential then you have the environment or situation that you place them in that's the place what have you guys done to optimize the place to ensure that mentoring relationships are working optimally at minds matter bay area
0: i felt the same way you know working in the different mm-hmm. system levels that i started to see over time is that it's true you have a lot of people that are like i want to come help and solve a problem and i might mm-hmm. have help but the question is how much time have you spent sitting with the very specific communities and people within those communities that you are hoping to serve in some way first of all are mm. you really serve is that mindset of service really genuine sometimes? Yeah. Just because you have really good intent doesn't mean you have have spent enough time listening to what mm. people actually want, need, and that sort of missing layer. I think you know, even if it cultivates a certain kind of compassion and intention, I think what's missing is that genuine empathy because you've actually sat mm. with someone to build that understanding. Mm. And so, I think that we're really invested in doing that. I think we're also really invested in ensuring that these relationships last beyond the three years of the high school program. It's just so critical. Mm. We hear a lot of our students say it's scary to be, I mean, first generation college students, it's scary to be on campus for the first time and navigating that space where you have a lot of other talented, you know, kids, Mm. you know, through the feelings of that. They talk to their parents, they talk to their peers, but it's hard, right? Because they're really looking for someone who's been through this before and can guide yeah. them. And that's where their built-in mentor, somebody they've built with mm. so many years is right there. And they already have the trust. They already have the foundation. They know this person, like you care about me. And you also, like we've talked through so many things, you know what bothers me, you know what makes me tick. And oftentimes our mentors are also the bridge for them in those early years in college until they get to a place where they're like, I'm confident, I'm reaching out. Out. I'm building friendships, right? I'm doing, you know, I'm building my own sort of communities here. And so we think that that's just as critical, but I don't think you yeah. get out that trust building and that relationship building and that genuine empathy that
1: emerges, I think, mutually, actually, in some ways, as time as time goes on. Is there something about Minds Matter that you really do still struggle to tell in the story? If so, what is the thing you wish they understood either about Minds Matter? about the students who are part of it, about the mentors, or even about you.
0: By asking the question that you asked around, like, tell me about these two groups of people that you're bringing together that tend to Mm. be like vastly, vastly apart, right? And not just Mm. in experience, but even in like physical proximity, actually, in many ways. And you actually named it. That is the thing that I think I think we have people come and they're like, tell me about your programs and services. We are curious about your curriculum, but we're more curious about the part that's the academic part and tell us about, obviously, you know, summer programs, you know, helping students apply to colleges, you know, helping tutor them. That's all there. But I think the part of it that has been difficult to really make sure people are thinking about is... There are these two communities that we are bringing together every single week throughout the school year for three years and Mm. building an intentional bridge between these different groups of people and making sure that that has an influence, I think, certainly, of course, on our students' self confidence, the resources. Mm have to move through not just college, but their career and beyond, right? That it has an impact on our volunteers, on our mentors, that Mm -hmm. are able to operate in the world with even deeper empathy, with deeper curiosity. Like, here's the city that you've been living in for a while. How does this make you better understand where you... And who you live next to. I think programs and services facilitate that. I think we build a program, you know, instead of services that facilitate, I think, really meaningful value to be drawn out of that relationship and to be built through the time that our students and our mentors spend in the program. But I actually think that is the thing. That's the story that if you talk to just any number of our mentees, probably the first and last thing they'll say is, it was the people. It was my mentor, but it was also my pod leaders. Like, oh, the volunteers I got to know, they believed in yeah. me. That mm. I didn't originally believe in myself. And over mm. time... You know, they wore me down with how much. Yeah. they <laughs> I finally was like, okay, maybe I should I should believe in myself a little bit more, right? And, and similarly, if you talk to our volunteers, you were just saying, you know, we had a you know a volunteer that's now a board member and talking about yeah. how the work that he did with you know his student Benton had such an impact on him and his journey and his level of understanding of he sits in spaces where they're moving lots of resources and funding, right? In, in lots of different areas. But to be thoughtful about how to move those resources, where to move those resources, mm-hmm. who actually needs it, and how do they need it, right? Mm-hmm. That, to me, is a really critical part of the story as well. As long as there are people, I think, with a lot of resources, I think what they often need the most is some degree of guidance on like, what's the most thoughtful way, right? What's the so- most thoughtful way to not just to be philanthropic, but to actually
1: help? What pieces of advice would Irene today give to Irene at the start of the pandemic?
0: I think one of the things that we really learned through the process of moving online, right, and staying online Mm. for a period of time is... The Minds Matter is not a school.
1: <laughs> mm. We are
0: not a school and that's a good thing, but I'll, I'll explain that a little bit. Obviously, there was a lot I think schools have to think about at a at a, a very baseline level, which is that like they really are, you know, even before we talk about curriculum and talk about, you know, no. other services, they are a space. For children to be in in the mm. hour that their parents are at work, right? That's a reality, and I think yeah. Minds Matter didn't have to, I think, operate in that space, and that, from a practical standpoint, I think was a good thing. Our job is to make sure that our show students show up because they want to. The thing about us is, like, as a student, you don't have to show up; it's because you want to be here on some level. As a volunteer, right? That's a reality too. I mean, you literally are volunteering your time, so you mm. also don't show up. I mean, you have to show up, but you yeah. don't have to show up, right? Yeah. And so. I think the most challenging part of operating in that space is like we are not we can't hold anybody's feet to the fire in a in a practical sense. Mm -hmm. But I also think it forces a different kind of thinking because you're not able to lean on that and say, well, I, I you know I can sort of force you know some kind of you know dynamic here that doesn't already exist. What that means is that when as we were moving online, we certainly were thoughtful about how. People needed to be cameras on. We built in more activities, I think, and on you know, in the lessons that allowed people to, you know, have a little more fun, get to know each other. We yeah. actually did game playing, I think, in, in mm. which is still now it now still on some level exists in our curriculum. But we were building that more and more into the curriculum at the time because we were like, there has to be ways to engage people. Um yeah. make sure- I want to show up want to be cameras on thankfully had opportunities to obviously you know give plenty of time for students and mentors to still break out and have yeah. individual conversations right so it wasn't all just big group you know teaching and, and and learning but the other thing too is as soon as we could right we were also still having you know community events opportunities where we said look we can't necessarily operate you know in classrooms you know every single week at present let's bring people out to a park together let's go on a tour you know together let's that's why right. we were trying to make sure that there were still those opportunities where people were in person and we encouraged you know obviously in that two to two structure that mentors and mentees you know, you know they need to get our sign off to try this but, yeah. but go get ice cream together yeah. go find some independent opportunities to build that relationship Even though we couldn't be in person every week, that we were still building in intentional opportunities for people to have time together in person, that that wasn't totally lost. I learned so much in a really positive way about how deeply our volunteers, and this is, yes, our mentors, but also our instructors, our pod leaders, our volunteer leaders, we have such a shared mission it's not theoretical i think because our volunteers see the genuine impact they also mm. saw the genuine consequence of not having this program and these services and this community around for our students during such a critical period where mm-hmm. i think i think our volunteers did understand that like we are the thing that is not school that's a positive and that's a needed thing for students right now you know we aren't just another thing that they're stuck online doing we have to be something you know, is, is outside of that. Right. And mm-hmm. give them support that is actually something that they're craving. And so coming out on the other side, I would say, trust your community. Not that I didn't in the beginning, but I think I was very worried. I was like, Oh my gosh, goodness, what if we get a mass? Yeah. People, mm-hmm. right? But I think that didn't end up happening because, you know, we had underestimated just how deeply our volunteers felt about the importance of what we do and, and how, how much mm-hmm. they want to be part of keeping it, keeping it going.
1: And now it's time for Spoken Stories, our recurring segment where we get to hear from the people behind the venture who make it come alive. This week, I got to talk with some incredible people from the Minds Matter Bay Area community. We had A.B. Desta and Justin Ma, two current mentees in the program, Andrew Linzer, a mentor in the program, and Benton Lang, a former mentee turned mentor, in an example of the long-lasting impact that the Minds Matter program has. Without further ado, let's hear from the people making the magic. My name's A.B. Desta. I've been in M.M. Bay for three years, and what makes M.M. Bay special for me is that they give time. For kids to work on the things they need for their upcoming years, and they give support that like your school does not give you, which I find very helpful. MMB has been a role model for me in my life because my parents aren't able to help me with my college applications due to language barriers, and MMB comes in and it's helpful towards like applications and like your FASA, anything you need. Hi, I'm Justin Ma
0: and I'm a student at Minds Matter Bay area and here at Minds Matter Bay area, I'm able to receive a lot of support from the community and my mentors. For example, during the college applications process, I have to do interviews for different colleges and my mentors generously gave me advice on how to stay confident and prepared to answer questions. Whenever Saturday comes around, going to Minds Matter doesn't seem like a chore, but rather an opportunity to grow.
1: Hi, I'm Andrew Linzer. I'm a mentor at MM Bay m and Bay is special to me because it's a three-year commitment. You form an actual relationship with your mentees. When my mentee Justin got into a computer science program that he was excited about, we got to celebrate together. When my mentee Nicole started a business to sell her artwork, I got to be a customer. I got to put stickers that she made in prints on my fridge at home. The transition to college, it's a tool for income mobility, but it's also a period of interpersonal growth, and I just want to be there for my mentees as they experience that. I'm Benton, and this is my third year volunteering for Minds Matter Bay Area. Back in high school, I was actually a mentee who went through the program from my sophomore to senior year. I love being able to give back a unique perspective and any lessons that I learned along the way. And what makes Minds Matter Bay Area so special to me and why I've come back is its focus on being a volunteer-led organization. I think you can really tell that everyone here wants to be here and wants to do the best they can for the students in the program. One of my favorite things about working with high-achieving young people is this palpable sense that every little bit that you invest in them is going to yield dividends much greater than you could ever imagine, much further into the future than you could believe. But the truth is, that is true of every interaction we have with anyone all of the time. If we're just willing to add a bit of intention to it. And so my wish for you, dear listener, is that in all your relationships and interactions this week, you would be invited to add a little bit more intentionality and make an investment. Who knows what that investment might yield.